Today, we have a very special guest to share with everyone. Tammy Hanna is sharing the mic with us today. Tammy is the CEO of Origami Brain Injury Rehabilitation, and her career has been built on integrated teams and keeping her eye on the mission. She is smart, so smart and dynamic, and we know you'll appreciate her insight into not being afraid to think big. The Speakeasy Podcast, real talk about leadership and sanity in the creative industry. I'm Karen Steffel. And I'm Jen Estel. Managing creativity and business, we probably have an opinion on that. No prohibitions. Clearly, we have cocktails. It's called Fleur of the Valley. Love it. And we have two versions of it today. So special note on Tammy. She prefers things a little sweet. Jen and I like it a little dry. So we have Fleur of the Valley. We've created two versions. We have, and this has fresh pureed strawberry in it, which is just right for the beginning of spring because we're all waiting for those first strawberries to come out. And and basil. All things basil. basil to grow. It also has some American Fifth Vodka in it. And then you top it off with either Prosecco if you're looking for something dry or a little simple syrup if you want it to be a little bit on the sweeter side. So Tammy, I hope you like that concoction that we made for you. It's really good. Thank <laughs> you so much. So let's talk a little bit about Tammy. Tammy's the CEO of Origami Brain Injury Rehabilitation. Uh, you've just celebrated, you've, you've passed some really big milestones recently. You've, you've celebrated your 20th year at Origami and you just finished your MBA at Michigan State University. So congratulations on both of those things. Thank you That's very much. Deal. It is. It's a huge deal. You are a very dedicated servant leader and you have had years of progressive leadership experience in rehabilitation. You started as a clinician and we'll dive into that a little bit more but you're also a huge advocate um, sitting on different committees and boards for brain injury rehabilitation. You are also on the board of directors and executive committee for the coalition for protecting auto no fault. And um, you're a lifelong disability advocate. I am. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. We're excited to hear from you. Not to mention all that you have two small children at home, right? Your children are how old? I do. So I have Avery, 10, and uh, we have Callie, who's eight. So two daughters. So the thing that hits me always first is how did you decide to do an MBA when you're managing everything you manage? I mean, maybe I'm skipping to the meat of it here, but come on. Yeah, I ask myself that quite a bit too. <laughs> and through the program, I've asked myself that, and um, you know, I had I wanted to do it earlier when the girls were even younger, and I kept putting it off, thinking this isn't the right time. This isn't the right time. And through conversations, continuous conversations with my husband Eric, it, we just realized there's never really going going to be a perfect time. Mm-hmm. There will so be true. a sacrifice for the family, regardless of when I do it. And uh, when I enroll in the program, I had a six-year-old and an eight-year-old, and both of them had homework. And so they understood the concept of going to school, needing to study, and having homework at the dining room table in the evening. So I I did it. (laughs) I applied, and um, I enrolled, and a couple months in, I thought, what did I do? (laughs) <laughs> what did I do? And so I would go to the library, spend hours at the library, and I'd come home and I would speak with Eric and say, you know, I think I made the wrong decision. I need out. I need out. I can't do this. 20 months of this. And uh, he listened. He was a great rock, great support. But then there was one day when he said, then just quit. Oh, and that word doesn't work. I was like, I'm not a quitter. Yeah. And suddenly it was, I was mad at him for saying that because that's <laughs> not what I wanted. I wasn't really looking for a fix, but I wasn't thinking he would say that. And that 
in that moment, I'm like, I need a better attitude. I need to embrace what I signed up for and I need to push through because I won't regret this experience. And it's temporary. It's temporary chaos. That's so great. And you're through. I'm through. And I think <laughs> I made it's, it. it's such an interesting story because so many young families go through this, right? So many people make this decision and you don't know what it's going to feel like till you're in it. So it's interesting to hear your, your take on that. I think I'm going to get a sign from my office that says temporary chaos so that when you're just feeling like you're drowning in an inbox and when you're, you know, pro- and you're blessed enough to have projects coming out of your ears, like temporary chaos. I can roll with that. I can roll with that. That yeah. sounds pretty good. I like it. Let's let's start back a little bit further, though, Tammy. Let's talk a little bit about um, why you went into um, occupational therapy and um, what inspired you. Kind of, I, w- I want to get underneath your why before we start talking about your career. What sure. was the, what were the, your early inspiration? Absolutely. So my early inspirations all come from my brother. I have a brother, Jeff, who's three years older than I am, and he has cerebral palsy. So as his little sister, I grew up watching him go to his therapy sessions and I saw his challenges. I saw his progress and I saw the power of surrounding yourself with the right supports, a network of supports and the right resources. And um, growing up, I always, I loved going to his therapy sessions. Sometimes they would come into our home. So a lot of times they became kind of part of our family. Sure. And I I love the occupational therapy sessions. I remember them helping him how to um, learn how to put on his shoes and to be able to pour milk into a bowl and all those little things that we take very much for granted. I saw how much he had to work and work and then finally get it. And so... I was inspired. I was drawn to the field of occupational therapy, which is a field that's completely committed to maximizing abilities despite disabilities. And I feel blessed to have a brother who really has taught me to view the world in a way of just, I I love differences in people. I respect those differences. I encourage those. Um, And I I feel like I, I come to my relationships and even my work in a different perspective because of my why. Yeah, absolutely. I love that story. It's not the first time I've heard it. And that's why I definitely wanted to incorporate it into kind of laying the groundwork for this conversation. Um, And I know you're one of four. I am. And um, so kind of you were talking about how important your resources and your support is. And and the family became so much a part of therapy and support. So you were you got your OT training much earlier than when you went to college. Very early on. And it, for me, it was just normal. Like that, that's all I knew. And I thought that's just how it always was. But um, as I grew older and became more aware, and especially as I started the occupational therapy program and working with other families, I realized that wasn't necessarily always the case. And there wasn't always a strong advocate in the family to help the individual that has a disability. And so that just made me want to help more people. Because uh, if they don't have somebody in their family that can provide that support, then there's other, other ways of getting that support, such mm-hmm. as organizations like I work for. Yeah. And you found origami early on. Is that where you did your field work or your internship? Yeah. So I, um, it, 
this is a part where I, I just reflect back and I chuckle because, you know, when I was in the occupational therapy program, I had one more thing I needed to do before graduation. And that just was my one. field work. Just one more thing. 16 week placement. And um, there were 40 of us in the class. There were 40 placements throughout the nation, not all in the state of Michigan. There was a top hat that held 40 locations and you had to draw into the hat and you pull it out. And I think I was like, number eight to draw. Wow. Um, I drew out a place that was called Origami Brain Injury Rehab Center. And my immediate was that sounds intense because you get literally a chapter in your program on brain injury. It's very complex. And most of your education comes from hands-on experience. Um, But I was just grateful it was only an hour commute. I could stay where, you know, I was residing. I didn't have to be uprooted and, and travel across the, the nation to where I needed to go, like a lot of my colleagues were. I thought it was going to be a 16-week stay. I was there two weeks, and the executive director at that time asked me if I was a physical therapist or an occupational therapist. And I told her I'm an OT student. And she said, oh, great. We're looking to hire our very first full-time therapist. Would you like a job? Oh, goodness. So this was back in the year 2000, and there were far more OTs graduating than there were OT jobs available. So you said yes. Oh, I said yes. After two weeks. (laughs) Two weeks. I didn't know what I was signing up for, but I knew, you know, that'd be silly to pass up an opportunity, have a job. I could keep looking. Sure. Um, Well, two weeks turned into 16 weeks. I finished my internship started the next day as an employee doing the same thing I was doing as an intern, but now getting paid for it. And yeah, 20 years later, I reflect back on that. And I, that's a part of my journey. I feel is just, um, you know, it wasn't intentional. I didn't know what I was signing up for. I drew origami out of a hat. Quite uh, literally. Literally. That is the craziest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) That's amazing. Meant to be is how I feel. And, you know, I landed there three years after the place opened. So it was very much still a startup. There were a very few employees wearing many hats. And I always say, you know, I had to grow up very fast sure. when I was there. I had to figure things out because there weren't a lot of resources. Let me ask you this question. How, what was it like to be the first OT on staff and not have a mentor? That was scary. So I had to find my mentors. And that's the part where when I reflect back at who I was then, I wasn't necessarily as assertive. I wasn't as comfortable in my skin. I lacked a lot of confidence. And um, I I had to reach out and find those people. And when I reached out, and one of them was a professor. And I called and said, hey, you know, I, I don't know how to handle this particular case. What should I do? So I was getting mentoring not only for occupational therapy and some oversight. And I asked a very experienced occupational therapist to help review my care plans, all of those things. But I also found somebody who was just uh, somebody I admired, a female that I admired and I could call up and ask, you know, different, difficult, you know, questions and, and uh, have her cheerleading me on. So you find your mentors if they don't surround you. Yeah. How did you know to do that? I feel like it was just me knowing I needed to find somebody. I had to get outside of my head because that's a dangerous place for me to stay, (laughs) is to stay in my head. Um, Dangerous meaning I don't always give myself the the credit or the, sure. the confidence. And so when I talk it out, I sometimes the other person doesn't even have to say anything. It's just 
getting it off my chest and I, I yep. can hear what I need to do. Um, I just knew that I was missing that piece. There wasn't anybody there and I wanted to be successful. And to be successful, I knew I needed to set myself up with some resources. And that, that also included continuing education and seminars and whatever I could get around me to help me feel like I was on the right path. How many employees were at Origami in the, in the year 2000? There were, it was under 30. Under 30. And at what point did they ask you to become a supervisor? I was, so actually. It's what so, you hated. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's still that, yeah, the titles. Um, we can get into that maybe later. But yeah. two years in, I we had grown and there were more therapists coming on board. And there wasn't that person on staff that was identifying the fact that, you know, these post-it notes aren't getting the job done anymore. We didn't really even have email. I mean, I feel very right. old saying that, but <laughs> it was post-it notes. We're with you. We get it. And I thought we need procedures. Like I'm a process person. I like plans and I like consistency and it sets us up for the structure helps to set us up for success, particularly when you have growing number of people. Well, that's interesting that you say that though, because structure would set you up for success for your patients as well. They need structure and repeatability, right? Absolutely. And that's really where all of that was rooted because I very much was an occupational therapist, had a very large caseload. Um, I I remember a caseload of 18 clients, which is a huge caseload at at that time in particular. there, There wasn't another OT for those people to see. And so I, I just felt like for my own sanity and for my own success in carrying out the care plans, I needed procedures. So I started establishing processes and, um, I didn't see it as being outside of my scope. Nobody was doing it. And I just felt like we need templates. We need to know what do we want to put in our evaluation reports, uh, our progress reports for our clients, all of those things. And then it started going into, well, who's going to be taking care of the facility? Like, it started going more from clinical to administrative, and there weren't any supervisors. The The primary person was um, out busy bringing in referrals. So I had approached the executive director at that time, and I said, we need a clinical facilitator. And she said, a facilitator? I've never heard of that title. Uh, I said, yeah, they, they can oversee people. They don't have to supervise them, but they can facilitate processes. You were trying to get around yes. that title. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want the title. And um, so I got that. I was clinical facilitator. And then one year later, became rehab manager. Um, and then from there, it was all very much, you know, uh, manager to director to then CEO, but I still to this day those titles. I don't. I don't even like introducing myself with my title. I feel like they they make sense from an organizational structure hierarchy of who reports to whom, who makes those decisions, all of those. I, I get that structure. Yeah. But I I find in my own experience that sometimes those titles really bring more barriers to being able to get the job done than just being Tammy. Yeah, those barriers, meaning being able to establish relationships with people without the stigma of the title. Yeah, I actually much prefer introducing myself as a producer than I do as uh, as an owner. I don't know why. It just I feel like it for if I describe myself as a producer, it categorizes where my heart is professionally, as opposed to like 
what my grind is. <laughs> Completely. It levels the playing ground, yeah. you know, whether legitimately or not. I mean, ultimately people who get to know you, they know you're an, the owner, right? But yeah, ulti- yeah there's something not, about that. It's not my first foot forward usually. Well, I think some of that, I think some of that is rooted in care for the work, right? You started as a producer, you, you cared about making the product and Tammy, you cared about helping people and your heart is there. And it's also the most important part. Yeah. So someone has to be the CEO, obviously. Right. But that's not why you're in it to be a CEO. Otherwise, you would have gone to business school. Right. Right. Much for, earlier. At least first. Much earlier. <laughs> 20 years earlier. Then graduated just a few days ago. <laughs> yeah. You know, the the work, you know, and full disclosure, I, you know, Origami has been a client for a number of years. Tammy's also my next door neighbor. Um, so I've known you a long time. But the that's not why you're here today at all. Um, I'm just so fascinated at one of the things that I think is so honorable and respectable and amazing is that there is something so special about origami and how you go about doing business and the care that you put into, um, addressing your clients and and the, the way you become part of their family. I mean, many of them are residents and, um, and I, I want I want to know how since you came up as a clinician, how do you balance running a rehabilitation um, facility in the wake of auto no fault reform and being an advocate at the same time? It feels like you're balancing um, your deep desire to help people with your grit to have to fight for it at the same time. It's interesting hearing you describe it that way and even make that division, they're like one in the same for me. Mm-hmm. I think it, the roots are compassion and a drive of helping people, um, regardless of where they're at in the rehab journey. And to be able to help people, it's being able to go back to finding those resources and making sure that we're using as max amount of resources and surrounding those people as possible. Um, and funding is a huge component sure. of being able to provide the best quality care possible. Um, and so advocating is something I think that it feels more natural for Team Origami to really, we're used to having to advocate yeah. for more. You know, somebody who needs a special wheelchair, we're having to advocate and explain why they need that and um, being the voice for the people that we're serving. Um, and so it, it's fairly natural um, now, I, I won't disregard the fact that leading an organization that has enjoyed continued growth, um, where we're able to serve more individuals that are in need than we've ever served, it's scary right now because I, I need to make sure everybody, the families we serve, clients, the employees, know the reality of the situation that we're presently in because I need them engaged. I need them passionate about advocating as well because this isn't a one-person thing. It's a team approach, but it's also, so the transparency piece, so they're engaged, but also a sense of security. The fact that we're going to be around to continue to provide this care and we're going to make that happen together. We need to make this happen. Yeah. For audiences who don't understand the situation, can you give us a couple of sentences about what is the no fault concern at this time? So explain this for someone who maybe hasn't been following Michigan's behaviors. Not all of our listeners are in Michigan. 
That's fair. And I will say the biggest challenge of advocating on this is because the message is so complex. So I'll, I'll keep so it I as simple two as possible. And I don't think I can do it in two sentences, but I'm going to do my best to get it maybe under five. I don't know. Don't count. But I don't know fault um, in the state of Michigan has been, we have personal injury protection. Um, every Michigan resident today has unlimited benefits. If you are in a car accident and you have a catastrophic injury, whether brain injury, orthopedic issues, spinal cord injury, you have auto insurance coverage to get rehab. Now, the reform that happened in June of 2019, that has changed where you now have a choice, which choice always sounds like a great thing, but only when you can make an informed decision. So you need to understand what auto no fault insurance does for you. When July of this year comes and you go to renew your auto policy, you will have the option to change from having unlimited today to having capped, sir, a capped amount per injury, per accident. So for instance, you could choose to save a few dollars. We don't even know what the savings will be today to have a capped benefit of $250,000. That sounds amazing, but it's not enough. No, that is if you have an ambulance ride to the hospital and you spend a few days in the hospital and you have all the specialty equipment and um, diagnostics tools that they're using, it's gone. And so um, in rehab extends far beyond just a hospital stay. And most people, though, won't think that they'll ever need that benefit. And most people will think their health insurance, which costs enough already, will cover it. And I'm here to say health insurance does not cover a lot of the specialty services that we provide to get people back to work, get people back home, and to get people back driving. Yeah, absolutely. And and the the amount of money it's, it's really invaluable. And you put yourself in, I think all of us feel a little invincible every now and then we, we think, well, that won't happen to me, but then think about it. Would you want it to happen to your sons? Would you want that to happen to your daughters? And, um, it puts a different view on it. Certainly. Absolutely. I mean, there's not a person that we have served in the 23 years that origami has been open that planned to ever need our service. Yeah, it's true. That was really good, even though it was more than two sentences. It was way more than two <laughs> sentences. <laughs> I'm, a I'm a rule follower, so I'm sweating that a little bit. That's okay. No, it's, you know, the thing is, it's a complicated issue, and everybody reads the headlines and could probably, even if you're a Michigan resident, get somewhere in the ballpark of accuracy. But I don't think people understand it to the depth that you have researched and advocated on this issue. I think the thing, the headline that you hear, over and over again, and, and we certainly, every every political cycle, auto no fault has been on the chopping block, right? And it just so happened that it happened. It was, it was maybe a matter of when, not if. And um, the thing that we hear over and over again is that Michigan has the most expensive auto insurance rates, as opposed to Michigan has the best catastrophic coverage. Spot on. <laughs> That's the part that, yeah, is not nearly as sexy for for the individuals that want reform. Yeah, absolutely. We'll keep fighting the good fight. Thank you so much. Let's talk a little bit about the growth of um, origami. So there were under 30 employees um, 20 years ago. How many employees do you have now? We have just over 130 employees, which is still really surreal for me to even say out loud because it's hard. In the matter of three years, we've doubled. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Really hard growth to manage. 
It is. Um, it is, but the beauty of having an amazing team makes it fun and it makes it manageable. Wait, so in the time you've been in school, also <laughs> taking on all of that extra work, you also grew an organization. And I know, I know you won't credit yourself, but I mean, come on, you're leading the team. Thank you. <laughs> I am, but you know, I, I, what I love about what I do is I can surround myself with people that know this part of the business and this part of the business. And I went back to school to be able to ask better questions, not to be able to do their work. And part of my schooling has also given me, I had great appreciation for my team prior, but sitting in the classroom and learning accounting and Excel to a degree I never really cared to learn. Um, I just have a renewed appreciation for everybody that's on my team. And it's just, it's amazing how the various puzzle pieces come together and just like create this amazing piece at origami. And so couldn't do it by myself, that's for sure. And never will claim to do that, but I can ask I can ask uh, more educated questions, I feel, now than what maybe I could have a couple years ago. That's amazing. That's pretty good. It's interesting listening to you talk. I'm imagining like filling a balloon, right? A balloon is only, it's tiny. And then you put in a little air and it stretches and it stretches some more and it stretches some more. And and imagining your career makes me think of never in a million years would you have thought 20 years ago that you would be juggling everything that you're juggling and managing something that big, but it happens in these little increments and you just rise to the challenge each time, which I think is something that most smart people can do. That's a really beautiful metaphor. It's just interesting. You'll never go back to that previous shape though. Even if all there <laughs> goes true, out, right? it'll still be stretchy. You'll just fill it with something else. It's true. It's true. How do you, with all this change, you're onboarding or, you know, you have a team that's onboarding people all the time. You don't necessarily know all of the names of the people in the organization right away, especially with the, the amount of um, student practitioners that you depend on. How do you, how do you lead a team that you don't necessarily know as well as maybe you once did um, with a smaller team? And then how do you do that with a group of people that you may not even share a lot of experiences with. Sure. That has been my biggest struggle. You know, as we celebrate that growth, uh, that growth has brought some growing pains and things that I've had to let go of, whether that's tasks, details. Um, I mean, just another detail got a task came off my list today because somebody came back from maternity leave and we had this plan to shuffle responsibilities. And it's like... Um, it's like a slow rip of the band-aid sometimes. <laughs> um, it, that's one of the hardest things for me, Karen, what you just mentioned of, you know, I, I envision being at Meyer and going down the aisle and not knowing if that individual works for me. Wow. And I say that because there has been a time where somebody had their origami jacket on and I didn't know who they were. And I go back, our HR system has pictures and names and I'm like trying to figure out, oh, they're a third shifter. I would never run 
across them in the hallway. Um, I've had to detach and in what it really comes down to is trust of the team and trusting that they've got this. And time and time again, they demonstrate that they've got this. It's making sure that we come together, you know, supervisor team, for instance, coming together and sharing stories and sharing these great uplifting stories of what's been going on and on their teams um, and making sure everybody's really leading with the same philosophy and the same values and making sure that runs through the veins of the operations because one single person can't can't make this growth happen and they certainly can't sustain it all alone. Um, so it's trust. Yeah. It's still hard. That sounds really hard. <laughs> it does sound really hard. I think too, you probably do this at the cellular level because of who you are, but you may not notice that one of the things that you said right at the very beginning was that you love the differences in people and you celebrate the differences in people. And so maybe, um, maybe you just don't, notice when people have a lot of very different experiences than you because it's not a threat. It's a curiosity. Absolutely. I, I, I'm very curious and I like to ask a lot of questions. I like people who ask a lot of questions. I think it takes us to another level. Um, Something that I'm always trying to avoid is we, you know, as a, the leadership team at Origami, we're, we've worked together for many years and um, we think a lot alike. And so there's the danger of the group think and wanting to make sure that even if you do agree with this idea, like think about the things that might not be a good idea. And like, let's make sure we have a devil's advocate as part of our conversations and we're not just going along with it. Um, and then seeking input outside of those meetings, I think is really an important piece too, of gathering input and making sure that, you know, what we see and how we feel we need to take the next step, that other people also see it and agree with that and will support it. How do you stay focused on your why? You know, we go back to Jeff. How does, how does your initial why, your initial inspiration, um, how is that present in the room when you're focused on scary business choices or frustrating growth problems? Mm-hmm. For me, you know, I think when I go to make a decision, which is often not solo, there's a lot of discussions that lead into that decision or a decision. Um, I always think about how it's going to impact people. And I think about the employees because however it impacts our employees will have a domino ripple effect um, to the people that they're serving, the, the lives that we touch. And, you know, sometimes a process change you would think it's as innocent as a process change that can impact people and their jobs and how they manage their jobs, how they carry out their jobs. And then that, that impacts the people that we serve. So something that was really hard for me early on of letting go of an occupational therapy caseload and not having that one-to-one -one interaction with clients was, um, it, it didn't feel like I was having as significant of a, of an impact when I started working yeah. in supervising employees who then treated right. the clients. And something through my experience, and it didn't take very long, but I have greater clarity today than I've ever had before, is how impactful everybody who's looking after the employees really is. Because you have, you have to take care of the employees so they can take care of your customers, your clients. And I feel like I have a greater impact because the decisions we're making impact all of it. All of it. It, the entire mission of creating opportunities, transforming lives. We love our mission statement because it not only applies to the people we're serving, 
We create opportunities and we transform lives for the people we serve and for their family members. But what I love about it is we also are always creating opportunities for our employees and transforming their lives too. And uh, that that just speaks to my heart of just, you don't have to separate the two groups. They're two very separate groups, clients and employees. Sure. But a lot of the decisions impact them in a way that you just have to be thoughtful and you have to think about those impacts before you implement change. It's almost as if you're the embodiment of the mission. It certainly is a reflection of how you've grown up at Origami. Well, and I think it too, it still speaks to that curiosity. You, you said earlier what I thought was very interesting, that you didn't know it wasn't your job to improve processes or <laughs> try to organize something. So seeing an opportunity and taking it and fixing and exploring just seems sort of in your nature. And that seems to be a pretty good fit as you've moved up the, up the, C, up the chain the C-suite. Up to the C-suite. I've seen the C-suite. Tammy shares her office with two other people. <laughs> <laughs> More of a studio than a suite. They are they are at capacity because they're doing such amazing work. Yeah. We have no more room to grow. We've been as creative as possible. And um, yeah. And you know, in that office share, <laughs> the initial, um, you know, first day was just like, oh, I miss my, my space, my think space, right? Sure. Um, my ability to have conversations on the phone without worrying about who might be hearing it. Um, Boy, have I learned so much and being able to interact even more closely where it's like, oh, I don't need to email them. They're like right behind me. So (laughs) um, there's some inefficiencies that are gained from that too. But it's amazing the collaborative kind of environment and the energy and the ideas that come from an office share. And I've missed that. There was a day I had off a share and um, I'm back to that. (laughs) Temporarily, hopefully. That is so interesting because sometimes I think leadership can be a lonely spot, right? And you put yourself behind these walls and you don't have that little interaction moment. So you've, it's nice that you're getting that experience. Absolutely. You know, that's been an area that I've had to grow the most in. It is lonely. And um, when you're so focused on everybody else and everybody is focused on either themselves or, or everybody else, it is lonely. But through experience and through my time of just experiencing different things that have happened through origami and through leadership opportunities. It's amazing how now I really embrace and um, when one of my employees gets recognized or wins an award or, you know, gets some sort of token of appreciation from somebody else, you learn to really appreciate that and reflect a little bit on how you may have impacted that a little bit. So sometimes there's more of that internal cheerleading you need to do when you're at the top, because it may not necessarily come as naturally for other people to point those things out. That makes sense. Mm. Dang, she's smart. So smart. (laughs) I don't know about this. (laughs) So, okay. So you're crammed to the gills. You're sharing all of your space. You have increased your capacity and your service significantly. What is next for Origami? We're going to keep fighting this battle with the auto no-fault reform. That's top priority right now. We're getting creative and renovating some space to carve out more offices. Um, We have a philosophy that if people are calling and they have a need and they need our care and we are the best experts around, we don't want to turn them away. And so we just continue to hire therapists and um, serve that need. And maximizing access to care is our vision statement. And so we 
we're not going to let this um, slow us down in terms of just uh, capacity. We're, we're continuing to get more creative. Um, you know, now following graduation, I'm, I'm really looking forward to um, having greater clarity, a little, a fewer balls in that juggle <laughs> yeah. act. Um, and I think that clarity is, you know, slowing down and, and asking that question, what's our strategic plan for the next few years? Where, where are we going and, and what are our plans? So we're going to be diving into that as a team closer throughout this, this year and next. Because you just got done with one hobby and you need another one. <laughs> you know how that works. <laughs> Neither of them are hobbies, don't get me wrong. I was say, MBA doesn't really sound like a <laughs> hobby. No, not quite. It's not the same as crochet. <laughs> but see, her balloon stretched and she's got all this extra space, so she might as well throw some strategic planning in there. That's right. Why not? <laughs> well, she gets to apply all of her newfound knowledge to ask bigger questions, to produce bigger results. It's pretty fun. I, I really admire your, at least on the outside your fearlessness. Thank you. I, uh, I appreciate that. you know, there's fear <laughs> sometimes. But courage but means you go through. That's exactly, it doesn't stop me. And, and, um, when I do feel like I need to hold back is when I need, know I need to get outside of my head and I'll tell you my husband's my go-to and he's the voice of reason and, um, there's no expectations, but he'll share with me what his thoughts are. And it gives me a renewed perspective. And then oftentimes even that, that little nudge that of courage that helps me keep pushing through. So all of this from pulling something out of a hat, I know. out of a hat, even Eric came out of the hat. <laughs> <It did. laughs> Tammy and Eric met at origami. Oh, no kidding. We did 2002. Oh, that was a good hat. Very good hat. <laughs> I'm very thankful. It was a good deal. Very fun. Thank you for joining us so much, Tammy. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. Yeah. It's been delightful to hear. So thank you very much. And best wishes as you move forward and, and, and do big things because we know that that's happening. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Shoot us a message on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Easy Underground. In our next episode, we are talking about bad manners at work. Oh, I have so many visuals in my head right now, like casual Friday gone wild. <laughs> well, we are going to pull apart the superficial ones and dive deeper into some behaviors that just might be holding you back in your career. So put on your earbuds at your desk and tune in.